This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, joined here by MLB.com National Editor Matt Myers and also special guest, returning guest, MLB.com National columnist Will Leach. A couple weeks ago, Will joined us and we did uh, a very fun draft. And we're going to do another one. This time, we have drafted each of the 40 Rookie of the Year winners from the year 2000 to the year 2019. Uh, I should note a quick side note we also did a draft of the MVP award winners. We're not going to do a whole podcast of that. That is up on MLB.com. You will not be surprised to know A, that the first four choices were all Barry Bonds ears, or B, Half of the internet was very upset with the first four choices. Uh, we're all Barry Bonds years. Well, that one was super fun. We're going to get to the rookies in a second, but I assume you heard from the exact same people I did about our MVP choices. Listen, it's I was surprised because usually all Barry Bonds stuff goes down very smoothly. People are very chill <laughs> about all Barry Bonds stuff. So, but yeah, I, it was funny because like it, it like I, I I'm not sure what like the reaction what we were supposed to do to be like. Well, to be fair, Barry Bonds obviously had the four best MVP years by a pretty dramatic margin. But let's just not mention him. Let's just not put him in there. We'll just pretend it didn't happen. Yeah, the the rookie of the year is fun for me because the other drafts, when we've done a couple of them now, we've drafted like World Series champions and MVPs and Cy Young Award winners, right? And and by definition, all of those guys and teams were very, very good. Like the worst World Series winning team was obviously a great team. You know, the, the weakest MVP of the last 20 years was Miguel Tejada in 2002 by our ranking and he still you know hit 30 something home runs playing shortstop for a first place team it was a great year rookie of the year is a little different and that's mm-hmm. kind of what made it fun for me like it starts off with some superheroes basically and then it gets down to the end and you're like oh yeah i sort of remember that guy and i guess we should clarify we were attempting to draft seasons and not careers right because there are definitely some guys who had uh who are having great careers and won the rookie of the year but with like okay rookie of the years and they finished below in our draft guys who didn't have great careers but had very good first years at least that's the way i approached it i realized we didn't actually talk about that no. but i sure <laughs> hope you did too yeah that's the hard part too because don't be wrong it would be a lot easier to be like okay who was the best player okay that would be and just knock it out that but it's weird too because this is something i think voters go through sometimes as well uh when they go okay who is like obviously this guy probably had the better statistical year but this player is clearly going to be the biggest superstar down the line i feel like the when we get to the bryce harper year that's a good example of that too like he didn't have a great year that year and there's probably someone who you maybe could make an argument for over him as the rookie of the year that year but come on you had to pick bryce harper he he was close enough that you realized he was going to do something great also he was 19 so uh, i feel like generally speaking i in i gave the benefit of the doubt for the career but uh only in in cases of uh in my very sophisticated complicated um uh analytical uh, all the all the numbers that i ran for each one of these if it were a statistical tie to like the 100th or 1000th decimal point uh that was when i uh, went ahead and went with the future career. Yeah, all right if i were if i were czar of awards um 
I would I would actually make the rookie the re, I would make the rookie of year instructions basically be it's really newcomer of the year to be more about like who is the most exciting first year player based on like performance and what you expect of their future, not like the best performance by a first year player. Of course, the way it's done now leads to some pretty silly results, which we will get to. <laughs> oh, yes, we will <laughs> later, <laughs> later in the podcast. So for this draft, um, rookies of the year. Um, as I said, we're going back to the year 2000, um, and Mike will pick first. So, Mike, drumroll, please. This was so easy for me. <laughs> I put almost no thought into this, and I don't mean that in a lazy way. I mean that in the obviously I'm picking the Mike Trout way. Uh, Mike Trout, 2012, you know, he just drops out at 20 years old and drops a 10-win season. Uh, 30 homers, 49 stolen bases. He was one stolen base shy of going 30-50, which has only been done twice in Major League history. I mean, this this transcends rookie years. This was just full stop one of the greatest seasons in big league history, right? He hit like he basically has hit every year since. You know, he had uh, 70% above league average power, stolen bases. What I remember about that season was he was also the best or close to the best defensive outfielder in baseball, uh, yeah, that was the year he was making all sorts of home run robbery catches. And that hasn't really stood the test of time. Like he's now more, I think, of a good than great center fielder, but he still gets the benefit of the doubt. And what I learned about this year now, uh, <laughs> or recently, was that it almost didn't happen. And what I mean by that was the year before in 2011, he'd come up uh, at 19, got kind of a cup of coffee, and he wasn't actually very good. Uh, hit 220, 281, 390. But there was a little bit of a uh, discrepancy about whether he was actually going to be eligible for the Rookie of the Year award because he got 123 at-bats. The threshold is 130, but then there's also another thing about days of service, and because he'd come up and gone down, there was this whole thing about, well, he didn't spend enough time in the minors, and he got optioned back, and those days still count service time, and then after the season, Major League Baseball had to go and clarify that, no, he is eligible. So imagine if... You look at Mike Trout's career, and because of these lousy 123 at-bats he had in 2011, uh, he wouldn't have been eligible based on what was essentially the greatest rookie season of all time. And perhaps the most incredible thing is that he didn't come up in 2012 until April 27th, I think. So he he only played in 139 games, so he had 10.5 war in 139 games played. Um, which is which is crazy, and you know that was the year he famously finished second to Miguel Cabrera in the in the MVP when Miguel Cabrera won the Triple Crown, um, and even though the the Angels had more wins, there was the Tigers made the playoffs. It was it was a bad time for the for baseball Twitter. But um, <laughs> rookie of the year, there was no question. What I just learned now, which I which I found amusing, number two to Trout that year was Johannes Cespedes. Yeah, <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, <laughs> I, I also like the idea that going into that season, Angels fans were really excited about the new additions of Pujols and CJ Wilson, <laughs> and like, oh yeah, they got Mike Trout as well. So that's always nice as well. Uh, number two pick, uh, Will. Who do you got? Yeah, this one's a little easier. This was also I, I thought a pretty easy one with all the great seasons. But actually when they did it, when we did our MVP awards, I actually brought this guy up as well. Cause it's 2017. And I went with Aaron judge who hit 52 homers, 52 homers had a 171 OPS plus, which was actually higher than trout. So he was not perhaps stealing 49 bases along the way and playing that incredible uh, center field, but the slugging was higher. And, uh, he's, and so was his on base. Uh, judge was incredible. The year. In fact, we talked about him when we did the MVP ranking, uh, when we did the MVP rankings, because 
as you may remember from fairly recently, there was a bit of discussion about Jose Altuve winning the MVP and stealing it from Judge. And I remember at the time, well, part of the thinking was, well, well, yeah, Judge obvi- Judge was was really great this year, and actually, I think he did lead more. But, you know, uh, he'll get another chance, right? He'll get another chance. He's a rookie. He'll have plenty of opportunity to do so. When you kind of look at it now, like obviously it's been – he's still been good, clearly. But his – you know, he played 155 games that year. He played 112 and 2018, uh, 102 last year. Uh, he is already 27. He's already uh, – he's already he'll be 28 in – oh, wow. Hey, happy birthday, by the way, on Sunday to Aaron Judge. He'll be 28 on, on, on Sunday, which is to say uh, he's already maybe in his prime. Judge kind of came late as a rookie – you can kind of make the argument that his rookie year was his prime because he's been good since, but he's never been quite as healthy. How was this vote only two and a half years ago? I know, right? <laughs> I mean, last week feels like two and a half years ago, so there's probably a little bit of that going on as well. Um, yeah, that's a that's a solid choice at number two. I think that's a, um, a pretty clear cut. But then again, number three uh, is also a pretty compelling choice. Uh, Mr. Petriello. Um, I was I was kind of pleased I had this one because I thought for sure that noted Cardinals fan Will Leach was going to go with Albert Pujols uh, at number two, and Albert Pujols came up at 21 years old and absolutely mashed. You know, 37 home runs, an OPS of over 1,000, uh, finished fourth in the MVP that year. What I didn't remember as well as Will probably did is like you think about Pujols for the last decade or so as this slow-footed first baseman who probably really shouldn't even be a first baseman. He should be a full-time DH, but you know the Angel situation doesn't allow for it. And I remembered vaguely in the back of my head that at first, you know, he played a little bit of left field, a little bit of right field, whatever. I didn't realize to what extent that it actually happened on the 2001 Cardinals. If you were to go to the baseball reference page for the 2001 Cardinals, every player has a position listed, their primary position. And Pujols' primary position is not first base. It's not third base. It's not left field. It's not right field. It's UT for utility. This is the greatest utility man season of all time. He made at least 39 starts at each of those four positions. First, third, left, and right. Albert Pujols, utility man. Now that's a great year. <laughs> yeah, that, of course, I, this is where I remind everyone that he made the team because Bobby Bonilla was hurt in spring training, <laughs> and that's why he made the team. Whenever I play out-of-the-park baseball or a strat game, I always play as the 2001 Cardinals because this is the year that Mark McGuire was all, and Pujols were teammates. This is Pujols, this is McGuire's last year. And of course, the irony of this, if I may plug something I wrote recently, the highest OPS on that team was not Pujols and not, not McGuire. It was J.D. Drew. J.D. Drew was actually the best hitter on the team that year. Uh, was, that, was, was that the year where like, McGuire, his rate stats were still incredible, but he only played in like 50 games or something? Yeah, yeah, he was, he, and and for and for what it's worth, he batted like two, he batted one eighty seven, <laughs> and in his last at bat of his career was pinch hit for by Kerry Robinson because Kerry Robinson had to put down a bunt, which he didn't. Uh, only you would remember that. Uh, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, it's Mark McGuire's last at bat. That's a worthy, that's a worthy uh, notion. That's, yes, that's pretty funny. Um, number four, uh, Will. This would go into your idea of newcomer of the year. Of all of these guys, I think you can make a good argument uh, that maybe he, this guy didn't have the best year, but certainly he had the most consequential year. And that is also in 2001, Ichiro Suzuki, of course, uh, in his first year over from Japan. And, you know, remember he, there had been, he was really the first, like that high profile of a position player. And not only was immediately incredible, but spurred a Mariners team to that incredible record and that unfortunate uh, playoff loss to the Yankees. Uh, Ichiro 
uh, of all the players on the list, perhaps even including Trout, provided the most joy in his rookie year. I think Judge maybe would probably be the one that's second on that. But to me, Ichiro, that year, for him to come in and do what he did uh, immediately like that, to hit 350 uh, and, and and be what he was in the field and steal 56 bases, uh, it, it was uh, a pretty incredible performance. And I think one of the most memorable rookie years. Yeah. Do you remember that? So he won the MVP that year, right? He uh, got all but one vote for the rookie of the year. CC Sabathia got the other vote and he was fine, you know, 439 year, right? For, for, yes, for, for rookie of the year. And um, I was just Googling this as you guys were talking. I wanted to see who didn't give each other that vote. And it was Chris Assenheimer of the Chronicle Telegram in Elira, El, Ohio. And uh, he quoted, I just felt that Sabathia better met the criteria of what a rookie is in the truest sense of the word, which almost certainly means I don't want to vote for the guy who played in the Japanese leagues. <laughs> there's no other, there's no other explanation for that. My, my memory of that year is that was like, I feel like that was my first like foray into like um, baseball internet, uh, like flame wars. Like back, I think back then I would used to go on like baseball think factory. That was like the only place there was no Twitter. So that was like the place where I would go for just like angry, like nerdy baseball discussion. And I remember that year, the MVP was like this hotly debated thing where it was like all the stat heads were like, it's ridiculous. Jason Jami should win. I mean, Jason Jami's stat line that year was 342, 477, uh, 660, uh, which is kind of insane in its own right. And he finished second to Ichiro and it was like, all the stat heads like were so so angry that Ichiro would win. You know, he didn't walk. He barely he only hit eight home runs. Like yada yada yada. And it, I I find it kind of interesting because I do think that like a lot of the conversation has shifted. I'm not saying that like the stat head community well, for what whatever that is nowadays would necessarily support uh, Ichiro now. But I think that like with all the more attention being paid on like multi like I feel like the stat head discussion has moved much more towards like. Where in those days it was all about like walks, like OBP and power, and you know, like sort of the Oakland A's teams of that time. It shifted more to like multi-dimensional players who do a lot of different things. And I feel like a lot of like the stat head people would have been much more supportive of Ichiro's candidacy um, now than they, they were at the time when it was like this is ridiculous. Jumbi's obviously the winner. Like these voters are so stupid. Um, anyway, on to number five, Mike. Who do you got? I think this one's going to sound a little weird this high because his career hasn't necessarily taken off in the way I would have expected. I went with Corey Seager from 2016 and I know that, you know, he missed all of 18 or most of 18 with Tommy John and he was just kind of okay last year. But in 2016, he was this incredibly highly touted prospect. He was a first round draft pick. He'd had a, a cup of coffee in 2015, uh, 21 years old, and he had an OPS plus of 174, which is really good. And then in 2016, he was he was fantastic. He had you know 26 homers, finished third in the MVP voting. You know, 22 years old, and you just sort of got this feeling like, oh, cool, that's another guy from the Dodgers farm system. Uh, he's just going to be their shortstop, maybe not shortstop, but a left side infielder for for the next dozen years, and that may still be true. It hasn't necessarily worked out that way. I think maybe it says a lot about how good he was that when he had a year like he just had, where he was like, you know, 13% above average and led the league with doubles. And we're all just kind of like, uh, that's okay. Like, that's fine. Cause at 22 years old in 2016, he really seemed like he was going to be uh, the next big superstar. And it just hasn't happened yet. Uh, I mean, you know, there's still plenty of time for it too, but if we're just drafting years, which, which we are, uh, that first year, that was pretty much everything you could have hoped for from a guy with that kind of pedigree. I think that makes sense. I feel like, though, to your point, I think this maybe is kind of the first pick where it feels like 
um, the player is a little out of the pick. Like the the, the 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 pick is a lot out of a line with like where his career is now. But that's the other thing that's tricky about rookies of the year. It's like a lot of these guys we're drafting are still early enough in their career that it could go a few a few different ways. You know, as I, I put Seager sort of in the same way. I think of him like sort of like Carlos Correa where it's always felt like he's come up a little bit short, but he's still young enough that it wouldn't surprise me if, like, he took off on a Hall of Fame track at any point. Um, okay, well, uh, number six. Yeah, here's a here's a sad one. Uh, number six on this one is 2013 Jose Fernandez. Uh, I, doing research on this, I did not realize that just how young he would still be if he were still with us. He would be 27 right now. That's younger than Garrett Cole. That's younger than Matthew Boyd. That is, in fact, younger than John Means, the guy who finished second in Rookie of the Year voting last year, which is really just kind of amazing. Uh, Fernandez was only 20 when he was incredible in 2013, and he just kept getting better. Uh, my, my favorite side about this, I know that there's arguments about K-9 the and, and Walk-9, but the idea that his strikeout to nine went up every single year his his ARA went uh, like but his best year really was that first year he really threw 172 and two-thirds innings he had a he had a 219 ERA he started 28 games Jose Fernandez you know when we lost Jose Fernandez we obviously lost his incredible pitcher but you know to me the thing I loved about Jose Fernandez was just the joy that he brought to the game there was just an overwhelming excitement to watch him pitch he clearly was having the time of his life to get to play and so uh to it is amazing to me to think uh that he would only be 27 years old now and uh totally in his prime probably not pitching for the marlins <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, although it, uh, it, is, it is it is like an interesting like you know definite you know that is a very much a, a what if obviously the Marlins don't really get the benefit of the doubt when it comes to like keeping teams together, but like how, what, how is different history different if, you know, he, he comes back in 2017 and has a dominant season, which would have been expected of him at that point with Stanton hitting 59 home runs. Mm-hmm. Um, like how different, you know, baseball history is um, if that, if that, uh, if that happens, you guys remember who finished second to him that year in rookie of the year voting? Uh, no. Puig. That's a, that was Puig. a good, that was a, that was a, that was a, a fun rookie class in the National League that year. Oh, wow. <laughs> Fernandez is, uh, is in one of my favorite short baseball videos or, or gifts or however you want to consume it, where he's pitching against the Rockies and Troy Tulowitzki just rockets a liner right back up through the middle and right into his glove and Fernandez catches it. And you can see Tulowitzki going, did you catch that? And Fernandez is laughing. He's like, yeah, I did. <laughs> and they both laugh. And that kind of goes back to what Will was saying about the way he played with such joy and obviously uh, an amazingly talented player, but you put all that into one package and that kind of makes it just one of the biggest losses in major league history. Uh, No question. Um, Okay. Moving to number seven, uh, Mike, you're up. Shohei Otane from 2018. I will always remember this voting for all of the Yankee fans who insisted that Miguel Andujar should win because he set the Yankee rookie record for doubles or something like he was very good. Fine. But Otani, like, you know, what he, what he did transcends baseball to some extent. Obviously he uh, came over as this immensely hyped player and we sort of forget now what was being written about him that first spring training where it looked like he just could not hit anything with spin on it. And then of course he comes out and he crushes the ball. He, uh, you know, didn't play every day, obviously, because he was trying to do both. Uh, but he got into 367 plate appearances at 22 homers and he pitched 51 innings and they were very, very good. If you kind of combine those things, he hit like 
Justin Turner did that year, obviously fewer played appearances. And he pitched like Wade Davis did that year and obviously fewer innings. And he did both of them at the exact same time. You know, like I don't think there's anyone who's ever come over with this much hype around him. And then he lived up to it. And then of course he got hurt and we still haven't seen like what he will be or what he can be. Um, but just the fact that he lived up to it and said, yeah, I'm talented enough to do all of this uh, was one of, I think my favorite stories of the last just 10 years was maybe that first game where he comes out and he's blowing pitches, that splitter, you know, the slider, all of it. And, you know, 80 level speed, uh, the power, all of it, like the full package. And it was, it was really fun to watch all of that come together that year. It's kind of yeah. sad to look. It's like it's sad that we still only, we've only seen him pitch like 51 innings in the majors. Yeah. Like we were like, you know, you know, we've talked about him on the podcast a bunch. And, you know, I, I think that there's like a, a real argument that they maybe should forget about the pitching because like on a rate basis, he's, you know, a top 20 hitter in baseball, maybe a top 10 hitter over the last two years. And like, maybe that's just, they should just leave it at that. But like when he was pitching, he had like two or three outings where he was just like electric and it was just, uh, it was, you know, as you said, unlike anything, unlike anything we've, uh, we've, uh, we've seen before. Um, to number eight, we go, uh, Will, who do you have after Otani? You know, speaking of guys that got up, uh, were called up a little later and when they were a little older, um, the rather uh, much debated, one would say, uh, call up of Chris Bryant in 2015. Uh, not only, you know, he's actually older than Bryce Harper, his old teammate. That's one of my favorite little factoids uh, uh, about them because, of course, Harper came to the league so much earlier. And because of that, it feels – I feel like Bryant is not quite on like – when Bryant showed up, the Cubs were – it kind of felt like you had a Hall of Famer uh, coming up. And he may have come in too late and had, had some injuries since then. But what I think what Bryant, in addition to being, of course, really, really good that year, what Bryant really represented was the – the Cubs were ready, right? Like they, they had brought in Lester. They'd been a little better in 14, but 15 was the year they brought in Lester and they called up Bryant and Rizzo, who, uh, who of course had come from San Diego, but was together for there for the beginning. It felt like the Cubs were serious now and uh, the rise of Bryant coincided with that. Also, if you're looking for, uh, I know this didn't happen until a year later, but I do kind of feel like Chris Bryant will get bonus points forever for being the guy that fielded the ball that won the Cubs their first World Series. And uh, I feel like you get extra bonus points forever. Every, you're always good on a curve for that point. Uh, I Again, I feel like this is a little bit of a Seager thing in that Bryant uh, – injuries have been part of this. But you, it really, you really thought that Bryant was going to be inner tier Hall of uh, like the top kind of guy, uh, and now I and unless we spent the whole offseason wondering if he was going to be traded, so it's a, kind of a weird time. But clearly, for Bryant to come in and be immediately a huge part of that team that that uh, uh, not only uh, made it to the the LCS, but but had clearly set, established them as a team that was going to uh, uh, do great things the next year. I feel like Bryant. His, he was really good that year. He sold 13 bases that year, which I did not realize. But uh, uh, not just that, but what he was, what he kind of represented for the Cubs. He beat out Matt Duffy in, in that balloting. I did not remember that. <laughs> I barely remember it, Matt Duffy. It wasn't even, when we say beat out, it implies it was close. It was, it was, well, sure, it was, sure. was unanimous that year. He's had a weird career. Like his strikeouts have gone down almost every year, but it's like powers kind of got down. Like he's one of the few guys, like few like sort of like power hitter types who's actually like cut down on his strikeouts. But at the same time, you know, He's, you know, he's hovered around 30 homers the last three years, uh, you know, with a injured year mixed in. So it's just like, it feels like, to, to Will's point, it definitely feels like a little something's missing, but he still had a really good career um, to, to this point. Um, number nine, uh, Mike. I think this one might be a little controversial. I went with the 2014 debut of Jose Abreu. 
And I think Abreu over the last couple of years, I have found him to be somewhat overrated, mostly by White Sox fans. I think we talked about the very weird three-year contract extension that he'd gotten last winter. And because what he's done over the last couple of years is settled into this, you know, pretty good, like 25% above average, you know, no defensive value, older righty, righty first baseman kind of role, which like is fine, but there's kind of an upper ceiling to how much value that can bring. But that first year, he was phenomenal. That first year, he was in something like a four-way tie for the best hitter in baseball in 2014 with McCutcheon, Victor Martinez, and Mike Trout. And Jose Brea was right there, 36 homers. Yes, he was a poor fielding first baseman, uh, but and that's fine, but... He was so good that first year and that hasn't really been able to live up to it for, uh, since. Like I said, he's been more good than great. Um, but in 2014, you really thought, you know, this this guy could actually be great. I will have to say also, the <laughs> the guys he finished ahead of that year, you know, they ended up with fine careers, but Matt Shoemaker, you know, Dylan Batanzas, Colin McHugh wasn't exactly the strongest class. And I think that first year, yeah, he was unanimous and he deserved every vote of it. Well, he, I mean, he, he led the AL in OPS plus, And I think that, like, um, was 2014 one of those, like, like was that, like, one of the year of the pitcher, quote-unquote? Um, oh, God. Yes. So yes. Like, Every time anybody's like, I hate the juiced ball and I want to go back to 2014, the answer is <laughs> no, no, you don't. <laughs> like, I'm fine with something in the middle, but you don't want that. Well, that's, like, one of those where, it's like, because it was so recent, it's, like, you almost forget that how different the environment was. So, like, he hit 317, 383, 581, 964 OPS, but that was, like, Adjusted OPS, he was the best in the American League. So it just goes to like if you went and just look at the stat line, you'd be like, oh, that's that's really good for a rookie, but it's not like you know transcendent. But from an OPS plus standpoint, it was um, you know way uh, way more impressive than the next guy on this list who got a lot more buzz, um, and uh, that is um, a will. Yeah, that's Pete Alonso. Uh, was, uh, go, go, going recent here. I mean. He hit 53 homers. That's more than any home any rookie's ever hit. Not to be fair, there was a uh, lot of home runs last year, uh, no question. But 53 homers is 53 homers, particularly in that ballpark. Um, but the thing I, I actually love about Alonzo, and I, I, I think people can, uh, Mets fan, fans can speak to this. You know, the, the love of Mets fans, the thing I love about Mets fans is they uh, are they are always grousing about how terrible their team is and how miserable it is to be a Mets fan. But the minute something awesome happens, they're like, the Mets are amazing and I love everything about the Mets and they've always been so great and don't you dare say a bad word about the Mets. <laughs> and uh, to, I love that. To me, that is the, the essence of what being a fan is. Uh, and Alonzo, to me, not only was he great, but he seemed to really love being a Met. And, and it felt... I don't know. Maybe maybe because I I was a little tired of the Harvey uh, uh, Dark Knight sort of stuff that happened, but it felt more organic and it felt more lasting. I I think to have got like the joy of Alonzo with that team. He's a fun guy. He's again another rookie that's a little older, which is we're seeing a lot more recently. The rookies now are either a lot older or a lot younger. <laughs> they're never. They're, it seems like they're rarely falling in like the 22, uh, 23 range. But uh, for me, Alonzo, uh, fifty three homers and and making making Mets fans uh, temporarily happy uh, is is enough to uh, to put him in the spot. Well, very <laughs> temporarily, right? Well, weren't Mets fans really really upset when he won this award because he didn't win it unanimously? Right? He got he got twenty nine votes. And one vote went to uh, Mike Soroka, and I'm pretty sure that vote was from Andrew Baggerly of The Athletic. And I'm going to stick up for him there. I, I disagree with him. I would have voted for Alonzo, but there's a pretty strong argument to be make, made that preventing homers in 2019 was more impressive <laughs> than hitting them. So even though I don't agree, I completely understand where he was coming from on that. 
Um, to your point about the older rookies and younger rookies, um, uh, Richard Justice wrote a piece about this recently. He was doing great research by our own David Adler, which basically showed that it was basically like, you know, there's this perception around baseball that, you know, you know, player like the the the, the league is like league is getting younger and younger. Rookies are getting younger, younger and younger, and it's, that's just not true. It's what's true is that like teams are much better at identifying like the superstars at a young age. So like they're they they identify the Juan Sotos and the Acunas. Like okay, yeah, you're 19, you're 20, but you're ready and you're going to be fine. You don't get like the rush promotions of like high prospects who who aren't ready and sort of like fall flat. Basically, the teams when they call up these these really young guys. They're they're ready, but otherwise, uh, on average, like the average rookie is like no no younger than it has been at any at any other time. Um, all right, number eleven, Petriello. I worry that this one's not going to hold up over time. I went with Jordan Alvarez, and if you look at the numbers, obviously they are undeniable. He uh, <laughs> he only played in eighty seven games, right? So I get that. There's a huge small sample size issue here. He is a Permanent DH, I think. I don't think he can ever play outfield enough to be even competent there. And my worry is that he's 22 and he's already got knee problems. He was going to miss part of this year if the season had started off on time. That's not a great sign for a guy you ever want to be running around the outfield. That said, he played in four months and the worst one of those four months, the worst one, he had a 999 OPS. (laughs) That's his worst month. Uh, you know, 27 home runs in half a season. This guy, I mean, is a, is a pure hitter. There's, and he's also free of, I think, all of the, you know, controversy around the Astros over the last few years. He wasn't on the 2017 team. He wasn't on the 2018 team. You know, everything he did last year, so far as we know, was based entirely on him just being an incredibly talented hitter. Now, I'm worried that in five years, he's going to be, you know, 27 and has never played the field and has bad knees and is going to be looking like he's, you know, 39 year old Willie Mays out there or something like that. And then we'll look back on this one and go, Oh yeah. Remember that guy? He was really good for four months, but I'm taking those four months because they were absolutely fantastic. That's, I mean, that's reasonable. Also, he has a DH that actually probably makes it easier to manage the, 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 the knee issue. Uh, it just makes it harder for them to hide anyone else at DH. But if he can, you know, hit like anything close to what he did last year, they, they won't really be wanting to hide anyone else at, uh, at, uh, at, uh, at DH. All right, uh, Will, number 12. Here's another guy that at the time we all thought we had the name's next big superstar. And in the history of the Rays, he totally is the next superstar because he is by far the best player in Rays history. He just didn't become a Hall of Famer that I think a lot of people thought he would be. And that's, of course, Evan Longoria, who won in 2008. The thing I love about Longoria was he showed up right after they stopped being the Devil Rays. <laughs> His rookie year was when they were the Rays and they went to the World Series. And he seemed to represent this total break from the Rays' past. And actually, he kind of did. <laughs> he, he didn't quite become the superstar that they thought. They got him at such that under – that contract was such a low contract that he got. And it ultimately ended up being – you know, actually about right because he did not actually become the top shelf superstar that a lot of people thought he was going to be, but he was still really good. And he certainly seemed like he was going to be kind of the Rays Ripken, right? At the, at the time, if, if such a thing could exist, it didn't turn out that way, but he was still a really good player, still the best player in Rays history and definitely represented the new Rays uh, that we saw in 2008. Uh, for sure. No, he, I mean, he was, that was the year when they like, yeah, they made the surprise run and the big part of it was just like, Oh, we're just going to like, throw in this like rookie who's basically an established star uh right away um and that was you know a big part of their their resurgence 
Um, yeah, I think he's he, he's been harmed also. Sorry, Matt, that um, when he came up, third base was maybe a little thin. And now for the last three or four years, third base is like historically deep, just studs on studs on studs. And it doesn't, ha- doesn't help these hit like a league average hitter. But now he's, I don't know, the 21st or something best third baseman in baseball. And I don't think that's what the Giants were looking for when they acquired him. But Will is right. I mean, this was the guy who was going to be the Ray. And I guess he was for nine of his 10 years there. He made the, the All Star team his first three years, but has not uh, has not made it since. Right. Um, uh, number thirteen, uh, Mike, Cody Bellinger, and Cody Bellinger had a really good 2017 rookie season. Uh, came up and he had this hilarious run uh, that I, I remembered vaguely, but I didn't remember the details till I looked it up. He hit ten home runs in ten games in one stretch in June. Obviously, not one home run per game, a couple multiple home run games, but ten home runs in ten games. And I really, you know, I I rep recognize him now uh, as an all-around player as a very good you know outfielder at first baseman whatever and i kind of thought looking back at this that his first year was going to have been this monstrous 10 win mike trout kind of season uh, and it wasn't really because he had a ton of strikeouts that year and the defensive metrics didn't like him but really what that did was it, it just set him up to improve because he's cut his strikeout rate each year he's improved his power each year and uh, obviously he's a great defender i know we're not talking about careers but even so, when you look at this guy who at 21 years old hit 39 homers and had an OPS plus of 143, and we think, oh yeah, he got better than that, uh, I think that tells you a little bit about what a what a start to his career is off to. Wait, remember that that summer? It was also Judge's rookie year, and so like for a brief period, there was sort of this like um, um, the um, there was a sort of like kind of like they're being pit against each other, like oh, in the AL there's Judge, in the NL there's Bellinger. And the Belger faded, I think, a little bit down the stretch, didn't quite keep it up, but it was still like a pretty, pretty iconic, iconic season. Um, speaking of icons, number 14, Will. <laughs> yeah, I mentioned, I referred to this one earlier. Wade Miley was the pitcher I was trying to refer to. Some of you made an argument for to win uh, the rookie of the year this year. This is 2012, uh, Bryce Harper. And researching this actually reminded me. That uh, you know, I've I've written about this for Sports on Earth, the old site that uh, that that I wrote for about how weird it was for so long. It was who do you got one? Trevor Harper, Trevor Harper, Trevor Harper, or or uh, or Matt Moore actually, I believe was the other one in that triumphant back in back in uh, uh, in in phenoms and top top uh, top future prospects. And it's funny because. Harper, uh, of course, his rookie year was the same as Trout's rookie year, and they'd always been compared to one another. And and it, the irony, of course, is that Harper may have actually had the best MVP season or close to one of the MVP seasons, but has never been that again. You saw this year, Harper was good. He was good. He wasn't Trout amazing, but he was a year younger than Trout. So you thought, okay, maybe next year he's that guy. It hasn't turned out that way. Trout clearly is Trout and Harper is, is perfectly a really great player, but not, but not Trout. But it reminded me how much we had spent so much time debating the two of those uh, for so long. Uh, but Harper was good this year, but he was also 19. And I, I what's, what's funny is that Kind of the things you saw this year, the moments of brilliance and look like he's the best player in the world. And then times where he kind of goes through lulls, we've actually seen that the rest of his career, except for 2015. Yep. I remember when he got called up, I was actually out in California with my wife. We were visiting some friends and I said to her, well, we're in California. We're definitely going to Dodger Stadium. And we saw a Braves game. And I think the next day the Nationals came to town and they had called him up for his debut. 
and I we were driving like out of town towards the airport or something. And I, I at least half thought about stopping and blowing off the flight and going back to the ballpark. Uh, and then I realized if I'd done that, I probably would have had to fly home by myself. So I didn't, but I came that close to being there uh, in, in the stands for his major league debut, which would have been a nice story to tell. One thing I remember from that year is how like he ended up making the all-star team and he, he came up late and he wasn't that great his first two months, but like, I can't remember if he was like a reserve the first time around or just like ended up being like an injured, like, you know, replacement because, you know, there's always a bunch of those and people were like upset about this. And it was, there was like a people like, Oh, he hasn't, he hasn't earned it. He doesn't deserve it. It was like, this is what the all-star game should be. This is awesome. Right. Like a 19 year old, like phenom right. in the all-star game. And then if I recall correctly, ended up making like a pretty embarrassing error, like overrunning a ball in the outfield or something, but still, um, uh, yeah, he was, uh, it's, it's weird how, like, as we're going through this list, it feels like we've said this about a bunch of players, like Harper, Bryant, Longoria, um, I feel like there was someone else where it was like, oh, you know, he's been, like, he was so great his rookie year, or, or like, maybe not he's not so great his rookie year, but, like, maybe just hasn't quite left, it hasn't quite left us, um, as satisfied as we were, like, hoping when we saw that, that first at first glimpse, I guess it's not surprising, you know, when you're such a, when you're so hyped, there's nowhere to go, but, but down, I guess. Um, okay. Uh, Mike, you're at 15. We haven't, even get, we haven't even started to get to the weird guys yet. We got a ways to go. <laughs> yeah, we do. I, I thought about whether it was too early to take a closer. And then I realized I wasn't actually building a real baseball team. on <laughs> So I did. I went with Craig Kimbrell's 2011, where he was essentially, depending on how you feel about Jansen or, or Chapman, uh, the best reliever in baseball from day one. I'd forgotten he'd come up briefly the the year before. He got into 21 games the year before, uh, allowed one earned run, but also struck out seven per nine. And there was a real concern about whether he was ever going to be able to throw enough strikes. Uh, and he did. He struck out basically 15 guys per nine. Uh, and he kind of just did this for like the next six years. And I know he's not that guy now, but the first year, in addition to the numbers, you know, he comes out and he does like the whole, you know, you can't see me holding my arms out thing, but you know, the thing that he does when he stares in at you, because then you've got the whole closer mystique. And then obviously he strikes out 15 per nine. So is it too early for a closer? Probably. Do I care? I do not. (laughs) Um, Well, who's, who's next at 16? Yeah, I feel like I feel like I keep picking guys that were pr- that had good rookie years that we all thought were going to be Hall of Famers, and then something else happened. Uh, I feel like this guy is a good one. Two thousand seven, Ryan Braun. Uh, you know, it's so we can all talk about the reasons, and some of which uh, I would say are justified that Braun has not ended up being as beloved as we all thought that they were going that he, that he was going to be. But man, like. Ryan Braun, Brewers fans thought they had Robin Young <laughs> in that first year. He was an incredible hitter. The defense was always a little wobbly, but he was a great hitter kind of from the get-go. He kind of ushered in that first wave of the Brewers kind of coming around. That 2011 team was really good <laughs> with him and Prince Fielder and, and, and Sabathia was on the team the year before. That team was so good. That era was good. And Braun was the golden boy. He was going to be the one that led them into the promised land. It did not turn out that way. But hey, he's still a brewer. <laughs> he's still hanging around. So uh, uh, Braun, uh, I, I Braun is uh, is someone who his rookie year was good, but what he represented to the Brewers seemed so much larger. And for a while, he was actually that. I gotta say, if not, I, mean, I think that they the you know, and not to play too much of a you know armchair psychologist, but the whole PD thing obviously just threw a whole wrench in how his perception of him, and it also seemed to throw a wrench in his performance. Whether those are two, you know, whether it's yeah, I won't I won't delve into that. But like the first seven years of his career, 
he had, his his overall line was 312, 374, 564. He was legitimately on a Hall of Fame path. Um and um I don't I don't to me I don't think of him as a disappointment. I think of a guy that was just like, you know, truly a superstar, had this had you know, this this controversy where he ended up with with egg on his face. Um but to me that doesn't take away from like just how good he was for an extended period of time. Like he was a he was a dominant hitter. Um uh Mike, seventeen. Well, at 17, I chose a guy who is, it's funny to think of him as ever being like the young, fresh face, but in 2010, that's what Buster Posey was. He didn't make the team out of spring training. He came up in, let's see, like the end of May and actually played a lot of first base that year. But by the time they got to the postseason and won the World Series, he caught every single inning in October, which is a really impressive thing, I think, to say for a rookie who didn't really start being their regular catcher that year until basically the all-star break. Um, and, you know, he was one of the five best catchers in baseball from day one. And they kind of all started from there, right? That first year, rookie of the year, winning a title. And then he breaks his leg and he comes back and he wins an MVP. And he's probably going to be in Cooperstown. And I just, it's weird now to ever think of him as being the young guy. Cause now he's like the grizzled old veteran on a team. That's not very good, but there was a time where it's like, wow, look at this new, you know, top draft pick guy. And he's really coming up and he's, being a rookie catching in the World Series. That was a cool story I remember at the time. Although I got to say, looking back, and you guys might remember this better, but like looking back, I'm looking at the voting now. Jason Hayward finished second. He got nine first place votes. Posey got 20. The other uh, first place vote went to Jaime Garcia. Sorry, Jaime Garcia got one, and Gabby Sanchez of the Marlins got two. Got um, two? <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm sort of surprised that Hayward didn't win because he played 142 games to Posey's 108. Um he had a 393 OBP. He had that amazing moment on opening day where he homered in his first at bat at home. Like he hit 18 homers in the season. Like he basically lived up to the hype of like leading him into the season. Didn't hit for a ton of power, but did everything else. It's kind of surprising that um, uh, to me, in retrospect, looking at those totals, that it was it was that much for a one away um, for Posey. But maybe I'm not. Maybe there's some like narrative element that I'm that I'm forgetting. I guess maybe the, the Braves. Um, didn't didn't do as well that year and that was like that was enough of a reason to sort of to to skew it but um anywho uh number 18 mr leach you're up if i if i may say by the way narrative wise i still feel like hayward's first game in atlanta when like hank aaron was there and they were all calling him <laughs> say hey hayward was and he hit that homer in his first at bat i feel like that should have won him the rookie of the year it, right that's what there. i'm saying <laughs> yeah like that was awesome when that happened um okay so i went with a guy uh that uh you you mentioned him earlier matt and i think it's carlos correa in 2015 which at the time i mean as i kind of wrote in my piece if you told me five years ago there'd be an all-around superstar who came up from houston system who made the all-star who was, was going to make the all-star game every year be in the top five MVP voting annually and win a world series mvp i would have absolutely thought it was correa not alex bregman and i think that correa had i even joked in my piece he had a little bit of a jeter vibe around that time he felt but like a little bit more power and and could become a, a, a top tier a mix between a rod and jeter if you will it has not turned out the way again he's had some injuries as well but when he has been injured he hasn't quite been that guy but as you guys mentioned before He's still pretty young, so there's still time. But uh, I thought Correa was going to be the superstar of that team, and it hasn't turned out that way. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I'm, I'm with you 100%. Go ahead, Mike. 
No, I was saying, it's it's funny we were talking about him as though he's somewhat of a disappointment last year. I know in half a season, he absolutely crushed the ball. He played 75 games, he had 21 homers, uh, and an OPS plus of 137. And here we are talking about him like he just hasn't lived up to expectations. Fairly, totally fairly. And, you know, the re- part of the reason why he missed last year was the, the whole weirdo story with like the masseuse. And then they put out the video with his like wife or girlfriend or whatever. And there's just been a lot happening that has crushed the mystique, as you as you mentioned before. He was going to be the next Jeter, and he still might be a very good regular all-star player, but I don't think we're going to think about him at the end of the day like we maybe once thought we would have. Um, number 19, uh, Mike. Ronald Acuna Jr., who in 2018, uh, I was kind of surprised we, Will and I, let him fall this far because you know Ronald Acuna Jr. came up and uh, at an incredibly young age was fantastic. Uh, he had 13 hits in his first eight games. And it's funny because this past year in 2019, he was great, right? 41 homers, 37 stolen bases, but he was actually a much better hitter as a rookie than he was in 2019. Um, I don't think anyone will be surprised to learn that this is one of the best age 20 or younger hitting seasons in the history of baseball. And were I to tell you the other names on that list, you will not be surprised to find that they are all legends. We're talking about 2012, Mike Trout, uh, 1929 Mel Ott, you've got Mickey Mantle in there and Ted Williams on there and Frank Robinson, all these guys who are legends. And I don't want to put too much pressure on Ronald Acuna, but if he doesn't get hurt, he will be in the Hall of Fame. And that's based <laughs> entirely on that first year that I have just picked here. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it, it, it to your point, it was weird that he kind of seemed like he took a little bit of a, uh, a step back this year, but I'm not, it wasn't far enough back to think that like, you know, I wouldn't be like necessarily worried about him per se you know he still hit what you know 40 homers and stole 37 bases so a uh, pretty uh a pretty uh exciting player in his own right and someone i was really excited to watch um this season and hopefully get a chance to do so um at some point all right will the 20th pick halfway home thank you guys are underrating the stat of hustle <laughs> You're underrating the stat. I'm kidding, just to be very clear. Um, okay, so I went with uh, 20 of Hanley Ramirez in 2006. I had forgotten how fast Hanley Ramirez used to be. He actually was not known as a power guy early on. He was fast. He sold 50. It's hard to imagine a world where we watched Hanley Ramirez. He was still kind of rattling around last year, right? He was still like, he's still like kind of hanging around trying to, if they were baseball now, he would probably be trying to get a free agent contract. He stole 51 bases his rookie year. It is hard for me to to comprehend Hanley Ramirez stealing 51 bases, but uh, he did it twice. He did it the I, next year. Too. It's totally insane. <laughs> like it's like, I understand that as we get older, things slow down for other people, not for me, but for other people, they will, uh, things slow down as they get older. But the idea that Hanley Ramirez would have stolen 102 bases in his first two year is absolutely, is absolutely absurd, but he actually developed the power. Obviously the speed ran off, but he developed the power, but it's weird. I, did a piece for the site this week where I looked at 2010, looked back at the year 2010, already by 2010, there were so many stories about what's up with Hanley Ramirez. Why isn't he the superstar he's supposed to be? Doesn't he hustle enough? Like it's, it's really been kind of funny to see history repeat itself over and over with so many other players because Ramirez was a guy by 2010 already where people were all over. My recollection of him as a rookie was that like he had been this really hype prospect in um, the, the Red Sox system. And at the time, I, I was working around this time. I was working at Baseball America, so I was very honed in on prospects. And in 2005, um, uh, for Boston's AA affiliate in Portland, he hit 271, 335, 385. Um, 
he stole 26 bases and was caught 13 times. So he had like a pretty bad year for what was considered like an elite prospect. And then he got traded that offseason. He was in the Josh Becker trade. Um, and the Marlins just called, like, called him up. He like had done nothing in the minors to suggest that like he was ready for the majors. And then he just like, he was basically on the opening, he played 158 games and he was like a star. And it was just sort of like, the, then it was the narrative was like, oh, I guess he was just kind of bored in double A, like, because there was no reason to think that he was ready to do what he did in 2006. And for a brief period, he was like, you know, this really dynamic um, star player, but, um, you know, it, it didn't, it was pretty, it was pretty sure he finished second in the MVP voting uh, that uh, one year. Um, but uh, it was a pretty, it was pretty short lived that uh, the, the Hanley peak, but then he had a couple of like, you know, other, like that one random year with the, um, half season with the Dodgers where he like hit like 350. Um, so it was always, it was always kind of there, but it never, it never really came back for an extended, an extended stretch. Um, I still feel, I still feel like they win that NLCS if he doesn't get hit by Joe Kelly. Remember Joe oh, Kelly? I still feel like they, he was, he was at peak Hanley when he got hit, when he got hit, when his hand was broken. Well, I can tell you that Dodger fans were not happy when the Dodgers signed Joe Kelly entirely <laughs> just because of that, not because of anything about the contract or what he might offer, specifically because of exactly what you just said. Um, okay, 21, Mike. I know this is one of Matt's favorite stories, so I'm looking forward to telling it. Uh, 2014, Jacob deGrom, who came up in May and basically just pitched the way he does now. Maybe he's not you know, the best starter in baseball in 2014 like he is now. But what's always funny about this is that he was not even the Mets' first choice. He was not their top pitching prospect. They had called him up to work out of the bullpen. And then a couple of days later, when they needed a starter uh, to replace Dylan G, it was actually not DeGrom. It was Rafael Montero, who everybody thought was the Mets' minor league prospect. DeGrom was the second choice. He held the Yankees to one run over seven innings and just kind of never stopped. Uh, 269 ERA that year, uh, nine strikeouts, actually 9.2 K per nine. And uh, has just, when he's been healthy, never stopped pitching well. I can't really think of a time other than like a few weird brief weeks at the beginning of last year where he hasn't been effective so long as he's been healthy. And it is just hilarious to think they didn't want him to be the first choice. It was Rafael Montero, who I will note, after years in the wilderness, resurfaced as a surprisingly good reliever for Texas last year. Um, I mean, it's sort of been, the, I mean, DeGrom has always been kind of because he was a position player in college and then needed TJ. So like he, you know, he didn't, you know, his, his rookie year, he was, he was 26 that year. So it was always like, there was never much, much hype around him. But I will tell a story that I've probably told in this podcast before, but I'll tell it again because I enjoy telling it was that when he was um, in 2012, uh, a friend of mine who's uh, a scout who was, I knew he was scouting um, the South Atlantic league. And I asked him, Hey, you saw Savannah, who was the best pitching prospect you saw on that team. And at that time, the the best pitching prospect like the guys on that team that Mets fans were excited about were Rafael Montero and Michael Fulmer and this guy Domingo Tapia who I'm sure you, most of you have never heard of and I was like who is the best guy Tapia Fulmer or Montero and he was like Jacob Degrom and I'd never heard of Degrom and I was like what are you talking about who is this person I've never heard of he was like oh no he's got this crazy fastball he's like he's like he's twenty he was like he's twenty four so he's got no hype no one's talking about him but like he's a guy like trust me and so I was like oh I'm gonna start paying attention to this Degrom guy. And sure enough, uh, my friend was on to something. Um, all right, uh, 22. Will, you're up. 
Uh, speaking of joyous Marlins pitchers, we talked about Jose Fernandez before. My 22 pick is 2003 Don Willis. I'm still a little scarred because I did not pick his 2004 season. Uh, about about two years ago, I wrote a piece for MLB.com uh, looking at the best season uh, pitching season ever for of the last 25 years, maybe for each base each team. And I picked the Kevin Brown season for the Marlins, and Don Willis uh, gave me a disapproving gif on Twitter. So I'm still a little scarred. <laughs> Uh, by that, uh, but uh, and I, I apologize. And then he gave me a "it's cool" gif on Twitter, so we're all right now. Uh, but uh, for me, Doncho Willis is one of the the most fun pitchers I ever saw pitch. And that 2013, which won the World Series, in which he gave up no runs in that World Series, to watch him uh, pitch felt like. Let's just say briefly the Marlins were very cool. <laughs> Every time that Doncho Willis pitched, he they were a very cool team. And so he was good. He was better in 2004, but he was really fun that first year. And you get extra credit for it when your team wins the World Series, your rookie of the year. No, and I mean, with that, with his like leg kick, and he had like a, in his smile, he had like a Mark Fitrich, like Fernando Mania kind of vibe that year. Like it was like his, he was, his starts, you know, as, as much as can be were kind of like events. And there was like a real excitement around around him. So I, I totally, I totally, totally get what, get what you're saying uh, about Dontrell. Uh, number 23, uh, Mike. And quickly, don't forget, Dontrell could hit too. Yeah. Uh, he ended up with, uh, with nine home runs. It was as much fun to watch him hit. Here is one that uh, hasn't aged well. 2013, Will Myers. When we were all the biggest geniuses in the world and we crushed the Royals for trading Will Myers and, you know, Jake Odorizzi and Mike Montgomery and Patrick Reynolds, uh, Leonard, to Tampa Bay for uh, for Wade Davis and James Shields uh, while leaving Jeff Francoeur in right field. And I think the entire baseball internet absolutely crushed Kansas City for this. And for the first year, it seemed like it was the correct thing to do because the Royals still didn't make the playoffs. And Will Myers won the Rookie of the Year in half a season. Uh, you know, a 131 OPS plus for, for Tampa Bay. He looked like he was going to be the guy, the star. That super hasn't happened. And oh, by the way, the Royals ended up going to back-to-back World Series and ended up trading Wade Davis for Jorge Soler, who hit 48 home runs last year. That's neither here nor there. Will Myers was very good for a year, broke his wrist the next year, and then he was gone. Traded to San Diego, where he actually ended up being teammates with James Shields. And now they've got this very oddly shaped roster where they've got a ton of athletic guys that Matt and I are totally obsessed with, but also Eric Hosmer and Will Myers. It's a very weird situation they've got going there. But anyway, for that first year... It just, I remember not even being excited that Will Myers was hitting. It was just like, oh yeah, that, that's what I expected. That's definitely what was going to happen here. And then it just stopped after that. Um, he's had a weird, he's definitely had one of the weirder careers of the, of the names, of the names on this list. Uh, Will, you're up at number 24. I, I feel like I, I, Randy Gisarelli, I had so many conversations with him about that trade <laughs> back in the day. Um, 24 for me, a guy that did not, has actually had a, a little bit better career uh, than Will Myers. It was 2006, Justin Verlander. Uh, it's funny because you know, at the time, Verlander was so exciting, but also he had come on, the, he his arrival kind of came on the heels of the Tigers' total bottoming out, that has kind of historic bottoming out. And then his rookie year, they made the World Series and then, then fell prey to the plague of pitcher errors that helped the Cardinals win the 2006 World Series. But Verlander that first year was really good and really exciting. And it felt like, okay, this guy's going to be great someday. And he was 
but he was really get great about 15 years later, 14 years later. Like there was something kind of funny about Verlander's career where he was so terrific for the Tigers and then was overpaid and then was absolutely brilliant. It feels weird to look back at his rookie year because he's been th- gone through so many permutations uh, since that time. But uh, uh, certainly he's gone up and down, but his rookie year, he was very exciting. I know, I know baseball has changed, but six strikeouts per nine that year. <laughs> I was just about to say 124 strikeouts and 186 innings. It feels like a typo, but it's, it's, yeah. I mean, if we're drafting careers, he's probably number two after Pujols on this. Trout. Trout. Oh, Trout. Trout. Oh, that guy. So, yeah. So, Trout Pujols. Who, who goes first? Trout or Pujols? Right uh, now. Well, if it's to date, I guess Pujols, but if it's full career, Trout. Yeah. Give him a couple years. So, Verlander, but Verlander's third, yeah? I would think uh, so. I would think so. maybe, but yeah, probably. Uh, which is, yeah. So, anyway. Uh, good value pick there, uh, Will. Um, Mike, number number twenty-five. Who did I pick for number two? Oh yes, Ryan Howard. Ryan Howard, uh, two thousand five. And I think we talked about Ryan Howard when we did the MVP draft, where maybe unfairly we think of him as like late stage Ryan Howard and forget how just objectively very good he was at first. I I vividly remember him seemingly being ready and stuck behind Jim Tomey like forever. And I went to a, I went to a game in AAA where Ryan Howard played left field because they were like trying to figure out get, they were like trying to figure out how to get him to the majors without moving Jim Tomey. Okay, then <laughs> I, I'm so sad we never got to see that in, in the majors. Uh, Brian Howard came up in in 2005 and he came up in May and he wasn't actually very good and he got sent back down, but he came back up and from July 2 to the end of the season he had a 9.49 OPS that made him one of the 20 best hitters in the game. He was so good that they actually traded away Jim Tomey to the White Sox just to make room uh, for Ryan Howard. And it was the right choice because Howard won the MVP the next season. And, you know, I think maybe we know a little more now about like defensively limited, you know, first baseman and their value and whatever. But I do remember the second half of that 05 season where he was just this huge story because he's like this massive man and he comes up with this sweet swing and he's just crushing homers left and right. And that was one of the more fun, like, three or four month stretches I remember because you just did not want to pitch to him. And he definitely had that kind of rarefied air of, Oh, he's hitting. We should definitely watch this and not go get a drink right now. And it's, it's hard to get there and hear in that, that year. Um, yeah. And I'm actually going to fact check myself. He did not play left field. I remember seeing him Ugh. and there was discussion about how they were going to try him in left field because they wanted to find a way to get on the field, but I wanted to fact check myself before someone called me out. Um, so bad job by me, but uh, moving on. <laughs> Uh, number 26, Will. Ryan Howard playing left field is like Jordan Alvarez playing anywhere. But Jordan Alvarez <laughs> actually did play left field. So that's, I know. Yes. Will, can I ask you a quick question? Is is this the point right here where this draft took a turn for you? Yeah. Because yeah. for me, it's my next pick. Yeah. This is uh, the idea that the, like the guy that won rookie of the year had a 98. OPS plus is yeah. <laughs> definitely a bad sign. Um, though I do think that I picked Raphael for Cal uh, from 2000. And the argument for him, I think, is a good one, which is, you know, that Braves team was starting to really come up. He had a 394 OBP that year. That's pretty solid. It's higher than his slugging, but whatever. <laughs> that, uh, more to the point, you know, those Braves were clearly starting to like, you know, that was, that was, they were in the midst of everything. But the, the year before they had Walt Weiss, before that it was Jeff Blauser. They never had like that studded short stuff. And Furcall was that guy. He'd never come close to a 394 OBP again. But again, that first year, all told, uh, even if he had zero power at all, he still sold 40 bases, was 
never quite as good of a defensive shortstop as I think everybody kind of thought. Oh, although I will, I will say I've never enjoyed watching a shortstop throw across the diamond more. Yeah, he's fun. Right? He's he very like fun. A, a cannon, or just like just like he would like wind up, and it was just like yeah. a, a seed straight across the diamond. So yeah, I think he had the Sean, have... he had the Sean Dunstan uh, going on a little bit uh, arm wise, but uh, but on the whole, uh, yeah, this is definitely Mike. Where I was like, okay, there are. Wow, 14 more of these. <laughs> uh, all right, speaking of which, number 27. Oh, man. I, I think I've said on the show before that I had uh, somewhat of a baseball blackout in my life from like 2000 to 2003, which like roughly, roughly overlaps with college where I just wasn't following the game super closely. And so I would like to say that I have a very strong memory of Eric Hinsky winning in 2002. But I do not. Uh, so this is entirely based on research because, like, I remember Eric Hinsky, but I didn't remember that much about him. Uh, he actually was on his third franchise by this point. He was drafted by the Cubs, and he was traded to the A's for the immortal. Wait for it, because I'm looking this up. Miguel Cairo, and then he went to the Blue Jays in the uh, the uh, uh, deal where uh, Justin Miller and Billy uh, Cock. And what happened was that. Eric Chavez was third baseman for the A's. And I forgot about Eric Chavez, who had been really good. And Eric Kinski was obviously never going to play over him. So they had to trade him away. And he was really good that first year. Uh, 24 homers, 13 stolen bases, a five-win player. He was a top five third baseman. He remains one of the best years by any Blue Jays third baseman. And then after that, he was bad the next two years and never really played third base again. And sort of had this weird late career bounce back as like this playoff good luck charm where he went to the World Series three years in a row with three different teams. And again, that's a career we're drafting a year. That first year was good. He was never really that good again. But so far as 2002 goes, if I can get that kind of value at pick, wow, 27, a five win player. Sure. And if we're going to we're going to remember some guys for a second, the 2002 AL Rookie of the Year. Man, there are some names. It goes Eric Hinsky, Rodrigo Lopez, Jorge Julio, Bobby Kielty, John Lackey, Josh Phelps, infamously the baseball perspectives cover boy the following year. Um Kevin Mench, Mark Ellis, Tony Fiore, Dustin Moore, and Carlos Pena. So, Tony Fiore? <laughs> I've never. Heard I have no that. idea who that is. <laughs> um, so, uh, so yeah, that was uh, an interesting year for uh, for, for rookies in the in the uh, in the American League. Will twenty eight? Who do you uh, who do you have? I have no idea who Josh Fiore is. Um, so, <laughs> uh, I've been with, Tony uh, Fiore, but still, I don't Tony, know. Sorry, I don't know, Josh, I don't know no, who Josh Fiore oh, is either. Sorry, no. For the record, I Josh and I are close. Um, okay, I went with uh, Michael Fulmer uh, in 2016. It's funny because I remember he was part of that. The, the, for a while, Mets fans were like really upset that they traded Michael Fulmer, and he was obviously really good that year. But you know, one of the, uh, I for, I forgot that about that year where him and Verlander were top one two uh, in his rookie year. But of course, one of the problem Fulmer Fulmer of course has struggled with injuries. It actually spoke to the thing where the Tigers hung on a little bit too long trying to pretend. I think trading Fulmer early on uh, before all of this happened could have brought them some more help down the line. Uh, but he's still hanging around, and they still kind of hope that maybe he can be in – if there's baseball, he'll come back in September this year. But uh, there would be more than two years uh, since he's thrown a pitch. But he was really good that rookie year, even if uh, uh, it turns out pitching is really bad for your arm sometimes, and Fulmer never quite yeah, there was a, those stories that came out last year, and I guess we don't know for certain that they're true, that they had turned down Alex Bregman or Javi Baez for Michael Fulmer. I got to hope those stories are false. Cause, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's 
That's rough. But it also is a good reminder that if true, that maybe the smart teams aren't necessarily as smart as we think they are. The quote unquote smart teams. <laughs> That's a good point. Um, okay, number then next up, uh, Mike. Uh, and number twenty nine, I picked Dustin Pedroia's two thousand seven. Obviously, Pedroia has gone on to a, a very good career, but he was he was fine that year. So I was. Let's see. I had just moved out of Boston at the time, but I remember. So 2006 was the last year I lived in Boston, and Mark Loretta was the second baseman that year, and he was an All Star, and he was he was pretty good. And Pedroia had come up late in the year and really did not impress. He hit 191 in 31 games, but they still kind of handed him the starting job the next year. And for the first month of 2007, he was absolutely awful. At the end of uh, the day on May 1st, he was hitting 172, 294, 224. And every Boston fan on earth was screaming for him to be replaced by uh, his future and I guess now former manager, Alex Cora. And that didn't happen, obviously. Uh, he sat out on May 2nd and came back the next day and he was great. He had an on-base percentage of almost 400. Uh, Red Sox won their second World Series. You know, he didn't have a great line overall because of that bad first month, but still a 380 on base is really good. Do you guys remember who finished second in the Rookie of the Year voting that year? I'm certain that you don't, but you'll enjoy knowing who it is. I have no idea. Delman Young. Oh, Delman Young. Uh, well, well I'd forgotten about that. Uh, Pedrero, I, I think of as like, you know, because I think it was like a year. I feel like he was sort of one of the poster boys for those, um, uh, the old stout, stats for scouts debate uh, where like stat heads really loved him because his numbers were great in the minors and scouts were like, oh, he's like a five foot six second base, you know, five foot second, five foot six, like he's, he's never going to be anything. Um, and then like, that was like one of the first, like um, when Pocota first came out and was become was getting more uh, recognition where they had this like crazy projection for Dustin Madroya. And it was like, well, there's no way he's going to actually hit like that. But then he actually went out and hit like that and had a really good career. And like for a while, it looked like he actually might've been on a hall of fame track, but then of course, you know, He's had a ton of injuries and you know, has barely has not been an effective player. If I don't even know the last time he was, but um, obviously will always be a uh, a fan favorite uh, in in Boston. All right, number thirty, Will, you're up. Laser show, laser. Show. <laughs> um, uh, 2008. I went with uh, the immortal Giovanni Soto. <laughs> Gio, for what ten more of these, huh? Yeah, right. I have to say though, I remember, I remember Soto in like 2008. He did seem like the next big piece for the Cubs, right? That was a good team. Pinella was still around then, and they were they seemed to be building towards something they got wiped out in the playoffs that year. But like that was a Cubs team that was good, and Soto was a key guy. What's interesting is he's another one of these guys that did not actually get going till later. In fact, he had been on the Cubs roster in 2005, one game, 2006, 11 games, and 2007, 14 games before he finally, he must have been so frustrated by the time that he finally got to uh, to come up in 2008 and had a pretty good year. He never had that much power again. He had 23 homers that year. He never had anything like that, but he, uh, he did what anyone, I think anytime a catcher wins rookie of the year, they by definition get like four or five years of back up catcher duty in the back half of their career uh soto got that as recently as 2017 so so good for him oh, i'm kind of sad now you know who got the one first place vote that he didn't get that year joey Votto. i was just looking at that <laughs> it's kind of wild if you, if you look at their stats they had like almost identical stat lines like across the board three point they both had 3.3 war on baseball reference uh soto had 23 home runs Votto had 24 soto had 86 rbis Votto had 84 um, Soto had 62 walks. Vado had 15. It's hard to imagine a world in which Joey Vado gets 500 
500 plus plate appearances and walks 59 times. They both hit within 15 points of each other. Their OBPs were within four points of each other. Their sluggings were within two points of each other. It's kind of crazy um, how similar their uh, their stat lines were. The Reds had three of the top five finishers that year in Rookie of the Year in Votto, Edinson Volquez, and uh, and Jay Bruce, um, which is pretty which is pretty wild. And I guess that you know that did lead to a pretty good run of, for the Reds, but uh, didn't really go. Beyond the, uh, I don't think they did they ever get the no, they ever got the LCS, just uh, just the DS. Uh, okay, uh, Mike, uh, thirty-one. Let's do this. Let's look into the void. Two thousand three on Helberoa. Yes, I'm I'm very excited about this one. Um, I mean, this did obviously not hold up. Was this like his only good year of his entire career? I mean, and it was. A- he might have had the worst career of anyone on this list. Uh, yeah, arguably so, I guess. Well, no, actually, we haven't gotten to the very bottom yet. <laughs> but, uh, on Hilbero, 2003, you know, a league average hitter, a 101 OPS plus, but 17 homers and 21 stol- stolen bases from, like, a decent shortstop. That's that's fine. Like, you'll take that. You know, a 2.7 war is slightly above average. Like, that's fine. I kind of picked this, and I'm, I'm just now realizing that I'm kind of going after Yankee fans twice, and I didn't really mean to, but... There's like this narrative among Yankee fans that Hideki Matsui was absolutely robbed that year. And I think they think that, and it was true. There were actually two writers who said that they were not going to vote for a, a Japanese rookie, which is ridiculous. Uh, but if you look at the numbers, uh, there was a really good argument for Baroa to have won. Uh, he was only slightly worse of a hitter than Matsui was. The you know, OPS was just within a couple of points in Matsui's favor. However, uh, Baroa stole 21 bases and played shortstop, whereas Matsui was a bad defensive outfielder. You know, so in terms of value, it was either even or slightly ahead for Baroa, and um, it was not exactly the strongest class in the world. And he did almost literally nothing after this. I think it's kind of the same thing as you just said with Soto. Will you win this award? You get to kick around for a couple of years, uh, but man, it, it got it got late pretty early for him after this one. <laughs> yeah, Matsui two things. Matsui slugged four thirty five that year, which is pretty. Mediocre for a guy who was supposed to be a power hitter. Uh, Baroa, looking at baseball reference, he had 2.5 war in 2003. He finished his career with one war. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, then. He played one, two, three, four, five, six, six more seasons. So. I actually, um, ha- I actually had a better back half of my major league career than he did. Actually, <laughs> pretty well. Um, all right, number 32. Uh, we're in the we're in the reliever run here. I went with Neftali Feliz from the Rangers in 2010. Uh, I I will confess if you're asking me, uh, I will if you're asking me, Will, did you pick Neftali Feliz just so you had an excuse to watch the ninth inning of the 2011 World Series, six of the 2011 World Series again? I will deny it. I will <laughs> deny it and claim that is not true. Uh, but F- Feliz was awesome, right? Like he like he kind of came in and he really felt like when he I remember when he came in in that game, I thought it was done. Like Feliz was really good. He'd been good for two years. He ended up being a little bit wild. That ended up being the kind of thing that took him down. But, you know, it's a little bit cheating to get like a fire, uh, uh, you know, a hard throwing uh, closer to come in and win the rookie of the year because it always feels like two or three two or three years later, they're not around anymore. They're not in that position anymore. But he was really good that year and, uh, and scary for a pretty fun Rangers team. Um, Mike, number 33. Chris Coglin. Is, Our... is he a former podcast guest? 
four and a half years ago. That's yes, right. Scott, he was he was the one that said he would beam Babe Ruth, right? Is that the guy? No, that's not no, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I'm just kidding. He's not a business. No. Of course, not me. of course. Coglin's great. He he was uh, one of the first player guests mm-hmm. we had. He was awesome. He was just really uh, like insightful and thoughtful about it, you know how he was learning how to use stats and everything. And um, I remember, I think everyone remembers this one from 2009 as the year somehow Chris Coughlin beat out Andrew McCutcheon, you know, and how ridiculous that looks in retrospect. And my argument was going to be, obviously, if you're looking at it from careers, then yes, absolutely. But in terms of just 2009, even though Coughlin's year was like super babbit and there was a large amount of batted ball luck, if you don't worry about that, you just look at the outcomes, it was a good year. 390 on base is really good. Not a, not a ton of power, nine home runs, whatever, but he's 20% above league average as a hitter. But then I looked into it a little more, and I really expected that what I was going to find was Coglin 1 and McCutcheon 2. That's not actually what happened. Coglin 1, McCutcheon 4th, Jay Happ and Tommy Hansen were 2-3, and somehow Casey McGeehee got a first place vote. That was not how I remember that happening at all. This has nothing to do with Chris Coglin, who you know, bounced around for a bit and kind of came back and was a pretty valuable player for some Cubs teams. And if you ever want to win a bar bet, remember that he was the starting right fielder in game one of the 2016 World Series. No one outside of Chicago will ever remember that. He also, by the way, had that amazing flip over Yachty Molina the next year. Um, yeah, I mean, the guy I actually kind of remember from that year who seemed like more of like, a, oh, this guy could be a star um, was was Tommy Hansen, who, you know, had you know, ended up being a pretty, you know, he, he passed away a couple of years ago, I think from an overdose. Um, and, but at the time it looked like he was going to be this, uh, like when I looked at those names at the time, I remember thinking like, Oh, that if anyone should have won other than McCutcheon, um, it was Hanson. But in my mind, when I thought of McCutcheon that year, I still thought of it as well. It should be the, what I said at the top of the show of like, Oh, more of the best newcomer. And cause in a, in a, in a best newcomer world, McCutcheon would have won that year. That's like kind of the, that year was like the perfect example of, of, of when like best newcomer would have come into play where it's like the, the young exciting player with more upside who clearly is going to have a better career, but like maybe didn't perform quite as well as, you know, the older, the older rookie with, uh, you know, maybe more of like a, a more certain floor. Um, all right. Number 34, Mr. Leach. I don't know. I didn't see Andrew McCutcheon in the 2016 world series. So <laughs> that blew my mind. I did not realize that at all, Mike. Um, and I was there. Um, okay, 34. I actually with Jason Bay in 2004. And Bay is kind of an interesting guy because, you know, in the back half of his career, obviously the Mets thing didn't work and some of the contract stuff turned over. He had a very uh, uh, bad ending uh, to his career. But it's funny. I had not, I had forgotten, kind of researching this, that in 2003, the year before uh, his rookie of the year season, the Pirates traded uh, Brian Giles for Jason Bay and Oliver Perez, who were both brilliant in 2004 and 2005 and looked like the starter, the starter kit for like this really fun era of Pirates baseball. Not only did that not work, that Pirates team was still bad, even while they were both great. So it ultimately got ruined. Uh, but Bay... Uh, was not didn't actually have a great uh, rookie year. I, Bay was one of those great players that came out that for the longest time was you know who we don't talk about enough. Jason Bay. Jason Bay's a really good player that nobody talks about. The shift from that to oh my god, Jason Bay is the most overrated player and overrated or played, paid player in baseball happened seemingly in the matter of weeks. So, uh, but I always have a, a soft spot for early Jason Bay. How about I mean look at his his two thousand five season. Played in 162 games, hit 306, 402, 559 with 21 steals in 22 attempts. 
Like that's a ridiculous season. Um, but uh, yeah, it obviously didn't end. It did not end well for uh, for Jason Bay. But he was a, he was a, he was a very good and perhaps uh, underrated player for a long time. Uh, didn't he with the Mets like somebody run him over and he got a concussion? Isn't that what happened to him? Um, I I just don't think I think it's just sort of like he was kind of he had a, he sort of even though he had that early in that year you know, his career I mentioned like you know he had like this sufficient base dealer I just think he sort of had like you know I don't really know what happened it was just it, he was I don't know if he was ever destined to uh, to age well and I remember like, that off season it was like him and Matt Holiday were like the big you know free agents and they were sort of similar profiles and then obviously you know, Matt Holiday went on to be one of the best I think probably one of the best you know if you look at hundred million dollar contracts he's probably one of the um, one of the the best there's ever been in terms of you know what he what the, the return on investment for the club, uh, which I know Will can speak to. Whereas um, the Mets kind of quote unquote settled for Bay, and uh, yeah, that did not go so well. Yeah, not very well. Um, Thirty five. We're, we're we're getting there, guys. <laughs> Five more. All right. Well, this is where we. Uh, you know, I, I try not to get sucked in by shiny ERA numbers from short relievers, but also we're at number 35 of 40. So I got to pick these guys at some point. So I went with the 184 ERA of Andrew Bailey's 2009. And Andrew Bailey was actually very good for his first two years with the A's. Uh, over his first two years, 132 innings, 25 earned runs. And uh, he was actually part of the deal that brought Josh Reddick back to the A's. And then he had a 704 ERA for the 2012 Red Sox. Sort of faded away, and now is, I believe, the pitching coach for the Giants, which is a pretty quick and impressive turnaround. But yeah, he was pretty good that first year. You know, struck out more than a man per inning back when that was a big deal. He made the uh, all-star game for the Rays. And if you look back at his competition in the 2009 Rookie of the Year, these two gentlemen are still playing and have had long, successful careers. But as rookies, neither Elvis Andrus or Rick Porcello were that, you know, impressive. So I can certainly see why the voters would have gone for lots of saves, and a shiny ERA that starts with a one. Speaking of saves and the Oakland A's, pick number 36, Will Leach. Yes, Houston Street from 2005. This is right before the A's could have that brief moment where they could build up a closer, a, a mediocre guy as a closer, and then flip him for someone someone young uh, in the next season. Street was a the guy they stuck with for a while. And my favorite thing about Houston Street, because he was because he was a closer immediately among entering the majors, late in his career, remember the time where he refused to sign with a team if they weren't going to make him the closer? Like, that's something we're going to laugh about in like 25 years. <laughs> like the idea that someone would do that is pretty hilarious. But that happens because Houston Street was a closer his entire career. Yeah, and but back to like he was like at Texas. He was a closer his entire career. Texas, he closed at the College World Series as a freshman. And then he was like, so he was just like, that's all he ever did. So he's like, he had the big leagues. And then he was like, oh, I guess I'm like, they're like, I guess he's the closer now. And he was just like, always the closer. There's like never been a pitcher who was more like clearly like identified as like capital C closer than, uh, than Houston street. Um, all right. Maybe this might be my favorite one on the list, Mike, number 37. Oh, I'm sure that I know why it's your favorite one. on the list. <laughs> uh, this is one where this outcome almost certainly would not have happened today, even though this was only nine years ago, 2011, Jeremy Hellickson. It is not hard to see why he won. He threw 189 innings and he did so with a 295 ERA. Many pitchers would take a year like that. It's a lot of innings. It's a low ERA. Wasn't a strong competition against him. That's why he won. However, this is one of the all-time greatest instances of look beyond ERA because his strikeout rate was worse than league average and his walk rate was worse than league average. And if you were to look at a number like FIP or fielding independent pitching, 
his uh, estimate was 444. That's on the ERA scale. Now, here's the part that Matt likes, which I enjoy very much as well. As I was doing my research for this, I thought to myself, well, I'd like to know what people of 2011 thought about this choice. And so I Googled and I came across an ESPN article and the headline read, Helixson, a questionable rookie of the year choice. And one of the comments within the article read, it's very likely that we look back on the Helixson selection in 10 years and think, really? Now, Will, I put this to you. Do you have any idea who wrote this article at ESPN.com nearly a decade ago? I mean, I, I've never actually even met anyone that ever used to work at ESPN. Yeah, so I'm not me really, neither. I'm not really familiar, but uh, uh, I, 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 I'm gonna guess. Man, I, I, you know what? It's got to be Cable. Got to be. Cable. It was actually it was Buster Olney. No, I was very pleased when I scrolled up and I read and I read by Matt Myers. Hey, that's a take that holds up. Back back when I used to write, man, I, I threw out some, uh, some, uh, some some scorching hot takes, my friends. <laughs> uh, five different players got first place votes that year, and these are some names. Helixson, Trumbo, Eric Hosbert, uh, Ivan Nova, and Dustin Ackley. By the way, the best choice from that year, probably Michael Pineda. Uh, yeah, it was not. It was not a great. It was not a great crop, admittedly. So even in my uh, my hot take, I didn't necessarily have a great. There was not a cl- uh, obvious obvious alternative. Okay, uh, number thirty-eight. Uh, Will number thirty-eight. Uh, that means there's only three left. I mean, we are at the tail end here to be the very at least. I went with uh, Kaz Sasaki. Uh, speaking of from two thousand. Uh, speaking of our uh, picking closers and picking guys. It's funny when you look, here are the names, one through, I guess, a, a four-way tie for six of the rookie of the year voting this year. In case you were like, I don't know, should Kaz Sasaki, who was perfectly fine for a good Mariners team. Here's one, Sasaki. Two, Terrence Long. Three, Mark Quinn. Four, Benji Molina. Five, Kelly Wunsch. And six, a four-way tie between Steve Cox, Adam Kennedy, Mark Redman, Oh, and Barry Zito. <laughs> Barry Zito was the guy tied for six. So good, good voting year that year. Uh, I actually, do you remember how Kelly Wunsch's career ended? Because I actually, I'm never going to have a chance in my life to have a Kelly yeah, Wunsch go, 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 story. Go. He was uh, pitching for the Dodgers in 2005, and he was warming up in the bullpen in Coors Field and stepped in like a hole or something and uh, injured his leg and never pitched again. And that is your Kelly Wunsch fun fact for the day. Here's my fun fact of Kelly Wunsch. I just looking up his baseball reference page. He was drafted in 2000, in the 2009 June Amateur Draft by the Braves in the 54th round. <laughs> that's, that That'll like never a, happen again. That seems like a lot of rounds. Um, number 39, Mike. This is my final choice, and I was down to only two remaining picks. And I got to say, this one was easy just because I wanted to leave pick number 40 for Will. Sorry, Will. I chose Bobby Crosby's 2004 season. And I have to say, I was somewhat impressed with the voters of 2004 for choosing a player who had a 239 batting average as he did, but he hit 22 home runs as a shortstop and these were good. If you look at the competition, this is maybe my favorite look up the competition story of this entire thing. Daniel Cabrera of Baltimore, who you may remember as having a live arm who in no way could throw strikes. He finished third. And he did that with a even ERA of five, um, five. Bobby Crosby received all but one of the first place votes this year. No one on earth will ever remember who got the other first place votes. White Sox reliever Shingo Takatsu, who I have no recollection of existing. Um, Bobby Crosby bounced around for a bit and then was out of baseball by 30. And that is the point in the draft that we are at. 
I'd like to point out that Daniel Cabrera also had more walks than strikeouts. <laughs> 89 walks and 76 strikeouts. Zach Greinke finished right below him with like a 397 ERA. I don't really understand uh, with a 100 strikeouts and 26 walks. I don't really understand how uh, Greinke finished uh, behind Cabrera. I guess it's because he had a losing record and Cabrera was somehow 12 and 12 and 8. I'd also like to point out that uh, the A's had three rookies of the year from 2004 to 2009, and they all fell in the last, like, six picks of this draft, starting at 35 with Andrew <laughs> Bailey, Houston Street, and Bobby Crosby. So this is not like when the Dodgers, you know, had, like, uh, you know, the run where they had, like, five straight of, uh, you know, elite, where they went, like, uh, Karos, Piazza, Mondesi, uh, what was it, Hollinsworth was the fourth, was that it? I guess it dropped off. Uh, they had five. No, it was Piazza, not in order. Uh, no, Karos, Piazza, uh, Mondesi, Nomo Hollinsworth. Okay, no, yeah. All right, last but not least, or I guess last. God bless you, Will. (laughs) (laughs) Someone's got to pick last. Uh, No offense. Here's my fun fact about the last pick, who is Jason Jennings from the 2002 Colorado Rockies, who I had to, of course, look up uh, every single fact about him uh, the minute that I saw I was stuck with him. Uh, And basically, here's why he kind of won. A, uh, the... Competition was Brad Wilkerson, who, by the way, was an awesome fantasy pick for like a several years around that time. Brad Wilkerson was like a fun oh, I, love, I was a big Brad Wilkerson fan. Yeah, big fun fantasy pick around that time. Uh, Austin Kearns, Kaz Ishii, Damian Moss, Josh Fogg, <laughs> and Jason Simon Tachi. So not a lot of guys that uh, you're necessarily working with. So that's one of the reasons that, uh, that that he did well. But the real reason, I would argue, is because this was still in the era, era where it was like, oh, there will never be a good Rockies pitcher like if anyone has an era under six they're a good uh, rocky starting pitcher so he had a 452 era for a not very good rocky team that they they um they lost 89 games uh obviously his peripherals were not good and so he went he went away for a little bit and he was and then when he went after six years in colorado when he was basically mediocre or average he went to houston was terrible and with the texas was even worse and so i thought wow so how bad is this gonna look that this guy won rookie of the year and I went back to look up his mediocre six years in Colorado and realized, according to Baseball Reference War, he is the sixth best pitcher in the history of the Colorado Rockies. <laughs> so so uh, this is obviously a little bit of the Rockies, but uh, I'm trying to find something positive to say about Jason Jennings. So know that he is the sixth best pitcher in Rockies history behind Ubaldo Jimenez. Like we're still we're not in rarefied air here, but uh, but still. He was uh, the 16th overall pick by the Rockies in the first round of the 1999 draft. And I'm looking back at this draft and he was, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, the eighth best player from the first round of that draft, which says a lot about how weak the rest of this draft was. Most of these guys never made it. The best players from the first round that year, Josh Beckett, Barry Zito, Brian Roberts, and Josh Hamilton. Uh, You will not be surprised to learn that in 2001 for Jennings at home in Colorado, he had uh, an ERA of 565 and on the road 335 as it turns out it is very difficult to pitch in Coors Field and I believe that was the last year pre-Humidor or something close to it but uh, that was not a very friendly place to pitch for Jason Jennings well all right we did it we made it we did it Okay, so so okay, so let's go through the uh, 80, 1980 through nineteen ninety nine. Who's with me? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going to leave that one up to you and your kids. <laughs> Um, well, well, thanks for joining us again to, for some, for some silliness. That was a good, uh, that was a good, uh, uh, almost 90 minutes of, uh, 
of uh, baseball banter. So uh, thanks for uh, for spending with us. The scary thing to know is that tomorrow I have a list of like five or six other drafts for Mike to do with me. And then once we do those, I'm going to try to talk you into letting me on the podcast again, because this is literally my favorite thing to do right now, other than to bowl, which I can also do now. I, I certainly hope you have a Georgia bowling alley all to yourself. I'm only half sure you're serious about sending me draft ideas, but even if we don't do them, I really want to. Do so please do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was a lot I of have fun. Plenty. Cool. I have I have a whole list. I, I just can't wait. That was a blast. Uh, this is our show for this week. Will Leach, thank you so much. Uh, Matt, thank you for the unfortunate duty of having to moderate Will and I just being insane together. Uh, as Will alluded to, 90 minutes of good times. And that is probably more than I could ask for right now. So thank you both. That was a blast. This is our show for this week. This is the MLB.com StackCast podcast. Thank you for listening.